0: Well hey everybody. Welcome to our living room. Well not exactly. We're we're still in the church sanctuary. Although some of the stuff actually came from my house. But we figured since you were coming to us from a living room or a family room that we might try to do the same for you. Now it's not just a gimmick. We really would like the messages in this series to feel more like uh, conversations than than sermons. You know, most of the time when we lay out a new teaching series, we have a very clear idea in mind of what we're trying to say and specific outcomes we're hoping for. Not so much this time around. These are such unusual times. We felt like the best thing we could do this spring is to just open the Bible and invite God to speak to us. To teach us how to live in these strange times. I mean, everybody else is telling us how we should be living right now, right? Everyone from Walmart to, to Nike to Anthony Fauci to John Krasinski, they've all got something to say and much of it is, is good and helpful. But what would God say if he could speak to us right now about these times in which we live? We've been using the word unprecedented to describe what we're going through right now and, and for sure, many of us have never lived through something like this in our lifetimes. But down through the centuries, the church and the world has faced plenty of crises before. So this spring, we're going to turn to a couple of books of the Bible that were written to people living in a time of, of social and, and political and economic upheaval. Uh, books that were written to people who were feeling uncertain and anxious, and stressed and fatigued and overwhelmed and, and all the words we just saw in that word cloud we shared with you. And those are actually words that many of you shared with us when we asked you to tell us what you're experiencing these days. But, but those words could just as easily have been describing the, the people who are living in the, in, in the latter part of the first century, the days of the early church. In a time of change and turmoil, they were, they were asking what now? What, what now for our families? What now for our, our livelihood? What, what now for the church and our society? What now for the world? Same questions we're asking. So let's spend a few weeks looking at these books of the Bible that we call First and 2 Peter and see if we can't find some hope and some help from God for these times in which we're living. So let's begin by taking a look at the opening lines of this First letter, this book that we call 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So what we have here is a letter, a letter written by the apostle Peter somewhere around 62 AD, so about 30 years or so after Jesus rose from the dead and and returned to heaven. Now Peter, of course, was one of the inner circle of the disciples, the one who denied Christ three times who then was forgiven and restored by Jesus and and went on to become a leader in the early church. He's writing to Christ followers, to Christians, living in a part of the empire known as Asia Minor, or what we today would call Turkey. Now, some of these believers were likely Jews who had emigrated from Israel and brought with them their newfound faith in Jesus as their Messiah, the Messiah of Israel. But but many of these believers were were non-Jews. They were Greeks and Romans who had come to believe that Jesus was the Savior and Lord of of, of all people. So all of them together made up the church there in in Asia Minor. They found themselves living in a pagan land, in a place that felt unfamiliar, ostracized because of their faith, and, and living under the rule of a deranged emperor named Nero who was no friend to the Jesus movement. So their future was very uncertain. And notice the word that Peter uses to describe these early Christians. Exiles. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces. Now, we'll talk more about that word exiles next week, but, but understand that an exile is a person who is living in a foreign land. A person who feels out of place someone trying to navigate through an unfamiliar culture. People who have to kind of rediscover who they are and what they're about living in a strange land. And I have to believe that that could describe how we're feeling sometimes these days, these days of quarantine and lockdown, disoriented, out of sync with our normal ways of living. When I got in the car to come over this morning, I realized that I had not been in the car for almost three days. Hadn't left the house except to go for a walk or a run. I mean, that's just strange. So all of us are having to rediscover who we are and, 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 and what our lives are all about in these unusual times. So Peter writes this letter to people like us. And he offers something that we all desperately need right now. Let's keep reading. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He offers them hope. And I have to believe that hope is something we all desperately need right now. But do we dare, do we dare to hope for better days? You know, for the first time this past week, and actually several times this past week, we heard experts talking about light at the end of the tunnel. For the first time, really, our leaders began to think about what life might look like as we reopened the country, so to speak. Now, now no one's ready to make any promises or any predictions yet, but we're beginning to imagine what that could be like. That expression caught my attention light at the end of the tunnel. Light at the end of the tunnel is is a metaphor for hope. Now, a metaphor is is, is a word picture, It's, it's it's a concrete image to describe an abstract concept. So hope is, is kind of an abstract idea. It's hard to wrap your arms and your head around hope. But light at the end of the tunnel, well, we get that. It's like coming out of a dark place and seeing your way for the first time to better and brighter days. Light at the end of the tunnel is a metaphor that helps us to understand and feel hope. But it turns out there are a lot of metaphors for hope. Pastor Ruthie and the Kidstown staff just, just shared one of them with us a few minutes ago when they talked about the plants they were growing, which began as seeds. You couldn't see the plant, but you were hoping it would come someday. I began thinking about all the other metaphors for hope that we're familiar with. How about this one? A sunrise. Sunrise marks the beginning of a new day. It's a fresh start. Anything's possible. How about a rainbow? A rainbow tells us that the storm has passed. The sun is breaking through. How about one more? A baby. A newborn baby is a bundle of life and potential. It reminds us that whatever else is happening in the world, life goes on, a new generation is coming. Now as it turns out, this isn't just any baby. This is our eighth grandchild. (laughs) Notice how I snuck this in here. This is a little girl named Ellis Sophia, born to our son Mark and his wife Ellie, just last week in the middle of a pandemic. Hope, life, a future. So each of these images speak to us of, of better days, of a fresh start, of a bright future. They remind us that there's life on the other side of, of, of winter. There's, there's, on the other side of darkness, on the other side of a storm, on the other side of a pandemic. On the opening lines of this letter, Peter offers us yet another metaphor for hope. It's an empty tomb. Listen again to those words we just read. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In the same way that a sunrise speaks about morning after night and and flowers speak about spring after winter, an empty tomb speaks about life after death, victory after defeat, joy after sadness. An empty tomb means anything is possible. It means there's always hope, no matter what. Now let's take a look at a definition here for a minute so we know exactly what it is we're talking about when we talk about hope. Hope can be described as a positive expectation and desire. Wanting something to happen and thinking it could happen. So hope is the sense that, that things are going to turn out okay. That, that we're going to get through this thing. That, that something good is coming on the other side of whatever it is we're going through. And hope is a wonderful thing. Hope is like oxygen to the soul. I mean, you, you, you can get through anything if you have hope. Viktor Frankl is the famous Holocaust survivor and philosopher. And he discovered in the concentration camp that people could survive just about anything as long as they had hope. Once they lost hope, they didn't last long. So hope is a wonderful thing, but hope has to have reasons behind it. A solid rational basis for believing that you're going to get through, that better things are coming. I mean without reasons, hope is just wishful thinking, it's just Pollyanna, pie in the sky, kind of optimism. That's why that's why the experts keep talking us, telling us today about, about paying attention to the facts and to the data as we think about life on the other side of this pandemic. They want to know what exactly is the infection rate and has it begun to crest and go down. They want to know the the capacity of our healthcare system. They want to know we have the ability to trace and to track and all those kinds of things. Because without data, without facts, this is just our positive expectations. It's just a lot of wishful thinking. It's just pie-in-the-sky optimism. So what reason does humanity have to be hopeful about anything? Well, here in verse 3, Peter gives us, pardon the pun, a rock-solid reason, the empty tomb, the resurrection. If Christ has conquered death, he can conquer anything. And as we learned last week on Easter Sunday, He has not only conquered death, he's conquered every bad thing the world can throw our way sickness and sadness and injury and injustice, humiliation, and yes, even death and grief. By his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ absorbed the deadly sting of sin and he conquered the frightening grip of the grave. He conquered it all. And and Peter, Peter, the one who wrote this letter, he knows this firsthand. Peter Peter remembers how how defeated he felt that night he denied Jesus. He remembers how grief-stricken he was as he watched Jesus die. He remembers how, how helpless and hopeless he and the other disciples felt hunkered down in that upper room. The resurrection changed all of that. He he was forgiven. He was restored. He, He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, all of them were. And for 30 years, they'd been out changing the world in Jesus' name. So you see, it turns out that hope has a name, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. But that hope isn 't just based on what what Jesus has done it 's also based on what He will do and what in fact he is already doing well, let 's keep reading, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So Peter gives us yet another metaphor here for hope. It's the metaphor of an inheritance. Have you ever dreamed that, that someday you might get a letter telling you that some distant relative has, has passed away and left you a fortune? I mean, if you knew that, if you knew that someday, a fortune was going to come your way. Think about how that would change the way you feel, the decisions you make about all the financial challenges you're facing. Think about how hopeful you could feel knowing that someday a huge sum of money was coming your way. Peter's telling us that we have an inheritance waiting for us, coming our way, and it's called eternal life. It's life with God. Life to the full here and now, and life forever in the age to come. It's life beyond sickness and sadness. Life, life beyond fear and failure. Life beyond COVID and quarantined. Life beyond every evil thing that the world can throw our way. And that life, Peter says, that inheritance can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. In other words, it's already there. It's, it's like money in the bank, so to speak. But it's not just an inheritance we'll receive in someday. It's an inheritance we can begin, inheritance we can begin drawing on even today. But listen to verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These believers in, in, in Asia Minor, they were experiencing real hardship and fear. They were being persecuted because of their faith. They were being shut out of their social circles, cut off from friends and sometimes from family. They were being shut out of their jobs. It was very hard for them to, to work and to find employment and provide for their families. And, and, and who knew what kind of evil Nero might inflict on them next? So this is not. There's no health and wealth gospel that Peter's writing about here. This is not pie in the sky optimism. Peter will talk about suffering 15 times in this letter. They had reasons to be afraid and uncertain but they also had reasons to hope. Let's keep reading. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, Peter says, you don't have to wait for someone to die to receive this inheritance. Christ has already died and risen. And because of his death, it means that all of your debts are paid. And because of his resurrection, it means that his risen life is available to you. All the resources, love and joy and, and, and peace and hope, it's all yours. It, it's been credited to your account, he's saying. It's worth a whole lot more than that stimulus check you've received or are waiting for from the government. Whatever strength or wisdom or courage, or patience you feel like you need right now to get through this pandemic, it's yours. It's in the bank. It's available to you now in unlimited supply. Therefore, Peter says, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now notice again, Peter's not, he's not minimizing the difficulties that they're all facing or that we're facing. He says, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober. These are serious times we're living in and serious challenges that we're facing. But we have reasons to be hopeful Christ has died and and Christ has risen and it also turns out that that, that Christ is coming again. He talks about when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. See, we know the end of the story. We know that someday Christ will return and he will finish what he's begun, putting this world right and making all things new. So, you want reasons to be hopeful. Here are three of them. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Now, if you grew up in a more liturgical Christian tradition, you you, you might recognize those words. It's a familiar, ancient expression of the of the of the church. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It's often recited as, uh, as the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper is being celebrated. These are the facts upon which our hope is based. These are the reasons. Christ has died, so our, 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 our failures, our sins are all forgiven. The past is taken care of. Christ is risen, so he is with us even now. And Christ will come again, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So we can live with hope because we know the end of the story. We can live with hope because we know the end of the story. Now, we've been talking about a lot of abstract concepts here for a while as we talk about hope. So let me finish up with yet another metaphor a word picture that might help us understand what we're trying to say here today. Uh, I mentioned last Sunday that uh, I was so desperate to watch some sports on TV last week that I watched a basketball game from 10 years ago. Well, it turns out I'm not the only one. I mean, they're replaying all kinds of old sporting events, including one station is replaying all of the past Super Bowls. Now, full disclosure, some of you know I'm a lifelong Giants fan, so, so chances are you and I re-watched different games this past week, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Well, to my surprise, it was actually a lot of fun. It was exciting, actually, to watch those games again. I mean, it had been so long ago, i kind of forgotten how how exciting they were, how, how hard fought they were, how, how, how gut-wrenching some of those moments were. I mean, I got caught up in the action more than once. I, I yelled at the TV, Eli, what are you doing? At the same time, I could relax and enjoy it because I knew the outcome. I knew how the game ended. I, I knew my team won at the end. I could just enjoy the game. And if you're a Patriots fan and, and you re-watch the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, you know what I'm talking about. Well, in a similar way, we can live with hope in the face of anything, even a pandemic, because we know how the game ends. We know the end of the story. We know that God will see us through. We know that his resources are enough. We know that nothing can separate us from his love. We know that nothing can thwart his good purposes for our lives and the church and the world. Our past is forgiven, our future is secure, and our present is empowered with the risen life of Christ. We can live with hope because we know the end of the story. Now, does that mean that uh, life is boring and predictable, that there are no surprises, no, no challenges, no disappointments? Not at all. I mean, we, we, know, we know the end of the story. We know how it ends, but, but we, we don't know when it ends, and we don't know how it all happens. We don't know what the big plays are. And in the same way, we... We don't know the part that we're going to play in this unfolding narrative. We we don't don't know what what tests we're going to have to endure. We don't don't know what lessons we're going to learn. We don't don't know that the people that we're going to meet, the people we're going to become, we we don't know the miracles we're going to see as we make our way through this journey. But we know who wins. We know the end of the story. And so we can live with hope. Which means as as frightening and as unsettling and as uncertain as these days are, we can live with hope. And notice it, it's not a passive hope. It's not a sit on your hands and wait around for something to happen, kind of a hope. It's not a hunker down and hold on, kind of a hope. It's a living hope. It's active hope. It's just like a shot of adrenaline that sends us out into the world with courage and expectancy. Whatever life looks like on the other side of this pandemic, and whenever we get there, we know that God can and will do something good in our lives, in our families, in the church, and even in the world if we trust Him if we follow the one who died and rose and is coming again for us. So let me ask as we finish up here. Do you have this kind of hope? Do you have this level of certainty as you look to this crisis and beyond? Remember, hope has a name and it's not Fauci or Krasinski it's not Eli or Brady it's Jesus if you have Jesus you have this kind of hope if you don't have Jesus you you don't have this kind of hope you may have other kinds of hope we can, we can hope in our, in our civic leaders. We can hope in our medical community. We can hope in our cultural cheerleaders. And that's all good. But none of them know the end of the story. None of them have ever beaten this thing before. None of them can promise us anything. Jesus can promise us life. Life to the full and life forever. Life now and and life beyond this pandemic and whatever is beyond that. So this hope we're talking about today is found in Jesus. If you have never invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, to forgive you of your past, to set you free for the future, to be with you right now, you can do that today, right now, as we pray in just a moment. And if you find yourself feeling overwhelmed by fear and uncertainty and all the things we've been talking about today, you can find hope today by inviting Jesus to, to make himself known and present in your life again by trusting and following him. So let me invite you to do that as we bow and pray together. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us today from these ancient letters. Thank you for wisdom for the times in which we live. Lord, if there are any here today who are perhaps inviting you into their lives for the very first time, may they know that today they're forgiven, they're free, they belong to you, their future is secure. And Lord, for those of us who may be feeling a bit overwhelmed by the challenges and uncertainties of these days, May we find hope. May our hope be renewed today as we set our hearts on Christ. Christ who lived, died, rose, and is coming again for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.